Welcome to the Conversations About Consultation podcast. I'm Zara Ahmed, and you're here listening to some of the conversations myself and my co-hosts, Dr. Emma Kennedy, Jessica Rowley, and Emily Crosby have had with guests from around the world about consultation in psychology. We all have a keen interest in consultation and hope that this podcast offers a platform to discuss different views about the topic and future directions of consultation. We hope that you enjoy listening to these episodes. And if you'd like any further information or interested in being a guest, please feel free to let us know and get in touch by email or Twitter. In today's episode, we're very lucky to be joined by Dr. Rachel Green, an experienced educational psychologist who for the past 17 years has been involved in training and the supervision of trainee educational psychologists. Most recently, she has been teaching and supervises research on the doctorate course at the Tavistock and Portman NHS Foundation. And she also is a research supervisor at University College London. Rachel is the co-director and lead educational psychologist for Headway Psychology, which is a company delivering a range of educational psychology services in mainstream and specialist schools in the Southwest London area. Rachel has a particular professional interest in dynamic assessment and completed her doctorate researching the competencies needed for effective dynamic assessment at University College London in 2015. Rachel has more recently developed a new approach to EP assessment called the multi-aspect model of learning or MAML for short which is based on the work of Vygotsky and designed around the dynamic assessment principles. In our conversation with Rachel she touches on considering the child within the learning context and how we talk about this in consultation. She also speaks about when it might be helpful to use dynamic assessments and the benefits of focusing on the zone of proximal development. She also interestingly talks about using dynamic assessment as a tool to stretch and thicken teachers thinking and thinking about the teacher's zone of proximal development. We hope you enjoy listening to this conversation. Hi Rachel, it's really nice to have you here today to have this conversation. Um, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. So thank you very much. Well, thank um, you for having me. Um, we're, yeah, like I said, there's been lots of interest in this conversation as well on Twitter, and I'm sure lots of people are going to be really interested to hear about dynamic assessment and how it kind of relates to consultation. So it'd be good just to kind of start with you telling us a bit about yourself and your journey to becoming an EP. Well, I'll try and keep it brief because like I've been an EP for a long time now so it feels like it's been quite a long journey but I suppose that the basics of it are that I trained um, at the Tavistock Clinic right at the turn of the millennium 1990,000 it was a very auspicious year to train um, on the on the old master's program so that was where I started off so um, and and interestingly um, I completed that year of my master's and I went to work Um, initially I did some work in Croydon local authority and then I went 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 to work for what was in those days um, the Royal Borough of Kingston so and in those days I was very much I think in a lot of London services in that kind of groove of the old Patsy Wagner consultation model we were very influenced in Kingston it was such a good place to start out because we had a new PEP and senior who'd worked in Kensington and Chelsea or new people in Wandsworth had introduced the model and were very keen to sort of bring that into the service that I was in. Um, And we were also trading services as well from a very early stage. So there was lots of really interesting stuff going on with Annie, Annie Bryans as she was then, she became Annie Yandel and Alison Bray, who was a senior, just you know, really pushing us to try different things. And I was also lucky enough to start out there with Jude Mortel, who obviously is one of our tutors who had trained at the Institute. So we were totally into consultation, bringing that in as a model of service delivery, which was really exciting. 
So working with schools and, you know, talking to them about different ways of doing things and, you know, pushing that through. So it was it was a good time to start out and, and be an EP, I think. And, and I had many happy years working there. But then I went off and did my doctorate at UCL. And that was when my interest in dynamic assessment was kind of really cemented because that was the subject of my doctorate um, thesis. So, yeah, and now I'm doing all sorts of things, <laughs> working at the Tabby as a tutor, teaching a lot of dynamic assessment on various courses. And I also work for a, an independent practice that offers um, EP services using a consultation model in um, lots of state schools so yeah. I wanted to ask you actually about that becoming an educational psychologist right around the time when this interest in consultation was really taking off how exciting and creative it sounds in terms of going into school say around that time what were the kinds of challenges you felt psychology services were encountering what was going on in schools at the time? Well I think you know there was partly you know much more of a focus on this the kind of what we would now call the graduated response to special needs so much more giving schools responsibility for building their capacity for building their skills and awareness of how to meet a range of special needs rather than just identifying labeling so schools were very motivated to learn more about how they could become better practitioners the role of the senko was really growing we weren't that long into the national curriculum at that point you know and things like the literacy and numeracy hour they'd been brought in when i was a teacher a few years before that so i think it was the sort of i felt you know from school's perspective they were shifting to realizing they needed to know about how to deal with a range of special needs what to do well so what if this kid's got this label or this difficulty what do we need to do about it so in a lot of schools and certainly not all of them you know there there was a a desire I suppose to work with you to share your knowledge to pull your knowledge and they wanted to learn from you as as much as you were saying we want to learn from you too so I mean and don't get me wrong it wasn't like that everywhere and I think what we had in Kingston we had a really good link with the SEN team and some of the inspectors at that time you know where we were sort of able to talk to them about what we could expect from EP advice and you know how we could sort of arrange our services and that traded services thing I think made a difference too. Goals were having some decisions about what they could buy and so we did lots of training and development work and project work and things like that. Yeah I think it I think it was that change in the code of practice changing the expectations about you know what schools would were doing and and the inclusive agenda was so much more on the table than I think it is now, if I'm honest. They, you know, they were really moving to, well, we're going to have all these kids with all these needs. We're going to need to know how to deal with it. Like leading on from there as well, I was wondering about whether that kind of had an impact on you thinking about dynamic assessment. Do you think that that kind of, was it early that you thought about dynamic assessment as an approach to assessing like cognition within like a consultation model? How did you? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I was thinking about this before. I met with you both today and I was thinking yeah how did I get into it when I trained at the Tarry back in the turn of the millennium we I think we had like half a day on dynamic assessment in in our training but it stuck in my mind we didn't have a lot more on psychometric assessment if I'm honest (laughs) we had a huge amount of input on systemic ways of working consultation practice we did a whole family sort of systemic family therapy course we did lots of things like that that really gave me that grounding in thinking about all the systems around a child you know it's not just a a child learning stuff it's it's a child learning within 
a context, you know, and actually our assessment needs to think about the context as much as it thinks about the child. So I think that was so ingrained in, in the thinking. And the half a day on, I think we did the, the organisation of DOTS. I remember being fascinated by it and really interested in it. For me, that's what dynamic assessment really needs to centre upon, having a clear understanding. We're thinking about learning. We're not just thinking about a child. We're thinking about how a child learns and what conditions and things around them they need to learn and our assessment needs to take that as much into account as what's going on within the child's head you know which is what the kind of more standardized tests often looked at so I don't know exactly what the point was that I just say I think and again the kind of the consultation models we were working in it was very you don't see the child you don't work with the child you're just working with the adult so I sort of had a bit of a conflict of yeah but I, I do sometimes want to see the child sometimes I think I might have something that's quite useful or you know want to think about well what's going on for this child what's their experience like and and how is the teaching meeting their needs and the work that they're doing so I was fortunate that I was able to go on an eight-day dynamic assessment course quite early on in my career I was I was lucky to do that with Bruce Deutsch and that was it I was I was hooked I think from then on but I don't think I've I don't think and I still think this is an issue, you know, even back then, I could see the potential in dynamic assessment, but there was something about the models that we were drawing on and the materials that we've got to do it that still felt a bit difficult to bring into practice and work with. And the constant refrain back then was, you know, how do I know I'm doing this well? You know, exactly what is it? And and I think those, those issues are still there today for a lot of us. I'm, I'm thinking about the your more recent work and the model that you've been developing and how that kind of provides a sort of a an answer to some of those questions that people were having and before moving into just asking you a little bit more about that I'm just wondering for people who maybe might be a bit less familiar but why what we might be meaning or encompassing in the term dynamic assessment would you say a little bit about yeah what what it is and what it isn't okay I'll try (laughs) and it was interesting so when I did my doctorate I I focused the subject of my doctorate was dynamic assessment and um the question that I asked in my doctorate is what does competent practice look like? You know, how do we know if we're competent at dynamic assessment? Because all the stuff that I'd done before then, which was very much based on Borstein's work, the LPAD, you know, all those assessments within that, you know, it was, it's incredibly detailed. It it feels like a lot of knowledge that you've got to have and a lot of skills you've got to have. And I still wasn't quite sure I knew if I was doing it right or if I was doing it properly you know that was the question and and so sorry that your question was so what is dynamic assessment and and this was something that became really important to answer in this obviously thesis research and what quickly became apparent is it's not that easy a question to answer succinctly as you're finding out now from the way I'm wibbling on you know we're all talking about dynamic assessment I think in slightly different ways according to the kind of training experiences we've had it's taken me a long time to sort of research this but if you really go back to what where does this term come from and what was it about when it originally started out it sort of seems to be rooted primarily in the work of Vygotsky working in uh, post-revolution 
revolution Russia in the 1920s and 30s. And, you know, as most people who are familiar with Vygotsky's work will know, he was really interested in how our social world around us, you know, how the adults around us form our, our learning and development. So he was totally fed up with the whole psychometric within child IQ type models rejecting those, rejecting actually a lot of kind of psycho sort of therapeutic and psychoanalytic sort of approaches as well and behaviorist approaches and saying, but, you know, a child is formed by the environment around them and a child learns and develops from the people around them and learning about the culture around them and learning to engage with it. So because he very much had that as a central sort of part of his theory, what he said is in order to understand a child and their learning, we have to look at the interaction between the child and the adult and the task that they're doing we have to look at this three-way relationship and how these things interact with each other and how this process is working so he was the first one that I can find and I'm sure someone will kind of maybe come up with something else that started talking really about this process-based assessment. To understand learning, we need to see it in action and understand the process and, and the quality of that, rather than all the things they've already learned. You know, he, he, he talked about that in translation, it comes about as fossilized learning. What's done in the, you know, what's already learned, we don't necessarily need to know about that. Or the thing that we also need to know is, but how do they then learn? How can we support by understanding how they're engaging in this process or how this process is being undertaken. So he, this idea of a dynamic interactive assessment that takes into account the interaction between the learner and the, 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 the teacher or the mediator, as it's become called in the task, was kind of rooted in his work. So for me, dynamic assessment is exactly that, the process of learning, seeing it in action and looking at that three-way relationship. I'm holding my hand up now into the triangle that all the students that have ever heard me go on about direct assessment will heard, you know, you're looking at the learner, the mediator, the task, how do they interact? On the, the work that you've been doing about developing models of assessment and how to kind of bridge that gap maybe between thinking, gosh, this, this interactive dynamic model is so helpful how does it fit with the practical reality of being a psychologist in a school could you just yeah say a little bit more about your the model the work you've been doing more recently and what you feel kind of adding yeah I think so from that kind of Vygotskyan interpretation there, I think the, the models that we're most familiar with in EP practice and where we most get training is in a different a model that's sort of actually had its genesis from Furstein and the Israeli School of Psychologists, who, although they didn't know about the work of Vygotsky at the time, were coming to very similar conclusions. We know that Furstein has sort of given us the most comprehensive dynamic assessment tool that as practitioners to go out and use in terms of he developed this approach to assessment with these 16 different um, instruments as you called them or tests um, that you could use now my understanding of that original LPAD learning propensity assessment device or learning potential assessment device really again focused on what he called learning potential. So what's this child's potential to learn? How can we understand that? So again, seeing them learning in action, you know, trying to sort of, you know, really capture the quality of the learning, what their potential was to profit from mediation and support. So he designed, you know, here we have someone who actually designed a tool for looking at that, not an easy thing to look at. So these 16 tools that are part of the LPAD, so some of these you'll be familiar with, like the complex figure drawing and the 16 word memory test, 
He used Raven's matrices, organizational dots. A lot of these were tasks he borrowed from other people and other people he'd been working with and adapted them to sort of formulate this sort of, okay, you can, you know, do a pre-test, see how the child performs on their own. Then you can get involved and do some mediation and then see how they have responded to that by then testing them again afterwards. So a a process for seeing how how much profit can they have from from us mediating in an assessment? You know, how can we assess what their potential is? And, uh, you know, that was the idea that I loved. You know, I love this idea of being able to sort of say, yeah, how can we help this child learn? But I think the trouble is for me, that model that Forstein came up with and, you know, the, the, the the way that we we use those tests in practice is for me thinking about it in relation to the context I'm working with in UK sort of EP services quite a difficult one to implement in the way it was originally designed my understanding is that that was really designed for clinical practice and what well what we would call more clinical practice you know working with a child over a really large number of sessions working through these instruments to look at the their cognitive skills in response to lots of different tasks that we're going to tap into lots of different aspects of cognition and then you come to the question of well what do we mean by cognition what are we looking for when we're doing these tasks what do we want to see you know what's the cognitive skills we're trying to observe and Forstein's model of input elaboration and output functions what that he called in the original model the cognitive deficiencies so how a child and 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 that word deficiencies has got from from people I've spoken to who, who know the theory much better than me say actually what he was talking about was inefficiencies rather than deficiencies but which of these aspects of their thinking their cognitive abilities aren't working as efficiently as they need to be to be able to to profit from learning and and make progress with learning and this input elaboration output model I think is from when it was written it was so ahead of its time because it was really acknowledging things that we now have sort of got backed up in sort of neuropsychological theory and a lot of other things But for me, as a practitioner working with it, I always found it really hard to hold in mind the model. And, you know, again, there's lots written about different ways it's interpreted. And then you try to talk to teachers and parents about it. And, you know, (laughs) there was another layer of complication. It just felt to me difficult to work within the context that we're in, difficult to relate to people that I was then trying to communicate results to, and, and also relate to the kind of curriculum and way that kids are learning in the classroom so for me you know again it's a real cornerstone of dynamic assessment what are we looking for in this learner that model has never quite cut it for me I suppose it in not because I don't think it's a good model it's amazing but it just didn't feel right and you know for the work I was doing so I came next to the CAP model from Ruth Deutsch's Cognitive Abilities Profile. Now, this seemed to work much better for me. You know, she's got her seven different areas that we're looking for, attention, perception, language, memory, reasoning, metacognition, and then the kind of more behavioral affective parts. It's great. Oh, yes, I can hold that in my head. I can work with that. I can be in an observation, looking at a child in a classroom, 
thinking with those ideas in my head, oh, I wonder if this is about their attention skills. I wonder if this is about beginning to hypothesize. How are they responding when the teacher's doing this? You know, how is that influencing their attention skills? Or, or is the teacher able to adjust what they're doing to meet these kind of what seem to be some language issues? So there was a really usable model. And this was like something that I was like, no, no, this is it. I'm going to use this model from it. And I've used the CAP model a lot. But even that and I Ruth if you ever listen to this please don't think you know you she's been such an inspiration and support and I I still think it's brilliant the cat model and teach it there's still for me something lacking in it in terms of acknowledging all the influences that we might want to see you know when when we're working with a learner either through our observation or our direct work it didn't quite encapsulate everything I I'd use that model and think "Mm, but what about their physical skills their fine motor skills you know what about their sensory processing skills I know Ruth based that model on a kind of Lurian approach sort of neuropsychological model so it had a good grounding in sort of lots of theories but there was still something not quite missing and and then for me as well the link between what you're seeing in the learner and then what you do about it in terms of mediation so if you've got a child who you're seeing oh I think there's something going on for it with attention here they're having difficulties with attention how do I mediate that I mean it's like the golden egg everyone always says how do I do the mediation you know the the links from you know I was like isn't there a way we can link up the cognitive difficulties or the the learning difficulties you're seeing in the child with the type of mediation that might be affected and what that means about the task that they're doing link that triangle together in our assessment is there a better way of doing it and researching models which took me right back to all the Vygotsky and stuff and his view of child development and learning and From that, I've created what's called the mammal model, the multi-aspect model of learning. I hope, for me at least, (laughs) encompasses a kind of a model of cognition and learning in the child. And I talk about it as being about learning more than cognition. Cognition is one part of the learning process Um, and marrying up what we're looking for in the child with what the mediation might look like and how we might adjust tasks in a very sort of direct way. Oh, it was really, it's really helpful, um, I think, to hear that all, Rachel. And I think I was just reflecting kind of, yeah, on being a trainee. And I guess having had you kind of teach some of these things to us, like the mammal and knowing how helpful that's been. Yeah. And I guess I'm advocating here for it as well. <laughs> I guess I was just thinking as you were talking about the theory um, and then thinking, like you were saying, okay, but how do we mediate? Because I know that in the conversations I've had in like my EP service and with other trainees as well one of the main difficulties I guess with dynamic assessment might be having all the knowledge <laughs> um, or all the required kind of yeah skills to think okay yeah like you just said this might be an issue in this area say attention how do I mediate that and then what tools can I use to do that I think that takes quite a lot of effortful thinking and I think that's where sometimes I feel like it's quite a barrier like knowing how to do any of that but I was also thinking in relation to that not just the process of dynamic assessment but also I guess even before you've started to do it what would make you kind of decide to use it because obviously lots of schools want kind of a standardized assessment or that might be a traditional role or perceived role of the EP and I was just thinking like do you think there are cases where you're like oh dynamic assessment is like perfect for this case or this is when I would use it yeah it's interesting isn't it you know there's still that tension even after many years of using dynamic assessment between a school expecting a score or, or for, for a 
test and and me coming in going no but I'm going to tell you what might really help or <laughs> what I think you know um, but I, I think in terms of how um, schools understanding and what schools need the thing that's made the difference to me and I've kind of built this into the the mammal model sort of thinking is really working around that model and helping schools understand that model of the zone of proximal development, you know, Vygotsky's zone of proximal development model. And, you know, having this concept of the base of the kite, again, I'm looking at it like a triangle again, um, but, you know, the, the, the bottom of kind of what we're talking about here is what a child can do on their own there. And I call it in the mammal model. And I think it's, it's in some of the literature as well, the zone of actual development. So talking to schools about, okay, what can this child do independently, unaided, unassisted? Okay, that's what we use, that's what we need our standardised assessments to help us with. So as an EP coming into the situation, I kind of want to know, does the school know what the child can do unaided and unassisted? Have we got that kind of baseline of their independent performance, either through the teacher assessment? So I'll always sort of ask them, well, what do you think they are? where are they at with the curriculum this is quite a difficult piece of information to get now (laughs) I don't know if it's just some of the schools I mean you know but I think partly COVID as well you know there's and there isn't a sort of a standardized way of assessing that now which which is there's pros and cons to that um but you know okay how far in line with what you're expected is this child is the school got a clear understanding of that sometimes they have sometimes they haven't actually and having that honest conversation where they haven't got that and increasingly I'm going back to standardized tools but curriculum based tests so okay have we got a reading test score if we're thinking about literacy issues have you done a decent reading test working with schools and this is where the consultation bit comes in I think to help them have the skills and the confidence to go away and do a YARC or whatever test they're able to access to, to sort of have that so what what's the scale of the problem we're talking about what sort of clues have we got to where the problem might be already math test whatever curriculum based stuff sometimes as well I also am very open and will occasionally sort of say well actually maybe we we do need um, a psychometric assessment to look at some sort of broad brush you know cognitive skills I don't I tend to use the CAS the cognitive assessment system because I'm not keen on kind of IQ based sort of tests myself but you know or it might be an EPSI or it might be something like that but you know just getting that baseline so working with schools and quite often when they've got that it's like okay so you know there is sort of at this point we're really well established here that they're struggling with learning for, for some reason either because there's kind of issues around social emotional mental health that might be preventing them accessing or there might be other learning barriers so what are we going to do about it because I can't tell you that without seeing the child in a learning situation myself I want to see what happens when they're attempting to learn something that's where my dynamic assessment is going to come in or using some of these models in an observational way to sort of assess, you know, here's what the child's supposed to be doing. This is what the teacher's doing. How are these marrying up? And and I think, you know, that, so quite a lot of assessment that I'm involved in now, we establish that baseline between us. And and again, that's that, for me, where that consultation bit comes in. I'm going to use their information and and believe that, you know, and that's going to be ecologically a, a, a lot more valid because it's related to classroom performance. And then I can come and say, right here we are let's now put this child in a learning situation with these tools that we've got um, that are kind of 
I know how what they're going to do here is going to link to what they might need to do in the classroom. And let's observe what happens when we put this in front of them. Where are the barriers? Where are the things that actually we don't have to worry so much about? And and, and then where, for, where, where can we start in terms of helping them to make progress from here? It's, it's fascinating and making me really, my mind go off in lots of different directions. I think one thing I was thinking about when you were talking, Rachel, is the importance of, you know, Shine's kind of process consultation and the idea of what kind of consultation relationship are you entering into and all the untested assumptions that we can have like I need you to do X, this is my, and all the assumptions you're making that the problem situation has been diagnosed accurately, you know, and actually sometimes we can end up falling into unintended kind of places in the negotiation that we have with teachers, you know, special educational needs coordinators, head teachers, parents, carers, that there's all these assumptions that we kind of know where the problem is. Uh, I, in this instance, if there's something deficient or dysfunctional in this child's learning, and you bring in this sort of sense of actually something much broader than this, there's the task, there's the relationship with the teacher, the teaching, you know, curriculum, classroom practice, like there's such richness in just even bringing all of that stuff to the table. And where you know, some of the challenges for us have been where we have defaulted to, you've asked for a psychometric, I know how to do them. That might be the thing that we know that we can do that other people don't do. Therefore, that's our identity and how tied up that can kind of become together. Because I guess it was leading us to one of the questions that, you know, we've had with with lots of people is about kind of um, social justice and the role of the EP in relation to social justice and knowing that actually there are EPs who work in the UK who've chosen deliberately to use dynamic assessment. I guess it would just be really interesting to hear, yeah, what what can dynamic assessment offer EPs who are really keen to develop their social justice advocacy to really live out their values? What can DA offer something well, for people? I think it comes back to, you know, just like you asking me some of these questions is making me think, you know, perhaps some of that thinking that's become very unconscious, you know, going into the assessment situation or the, no, not even that, the, the relationship with the school situation with personally a very strongly held belief that in order to be able to help a child in make progress you know they, they, they go to school to learn stuff whether we think they're learning the right stuff whether we think the curriculum's right or not that's a whole other ball game um, but but the school's job is to help this child learn and make progress on the curriculum first and foremost and in order to do that we know they've got to support not just their learning but often their social emotional development as well and and those are those can be big barriers to learning that we need to think about in the bigger picture you know so being able to think about all of those in one place at one time and the and and that it's not always the child not having the cognitive skill you know a lot of the time it's a child with a teacher who perhaps isn't confident who isn't able to meet that child's needs where the relationship's broken down and and, and equally you know it can be sometimes that there's a cognitive need that nobody's noticed that's causing a problem going into that relationship that my view of my role as a psychologist of I'm here to find out how this child learns best how this child learns and in order to be able to do that I've got to look at as I say the teacher the task the learner and therefore in I'm going to bring that into everything I do in terms of assessment so we'll start with a conversation about what's going on what have you found out about this and I was just thinking what you're saying there how many times I've said to schools 
where's this child actually at? And they've realized they don't know. <laughs> and they've gone, actually, do you know what? We need to go away and do a bit more work. And actually, sometimes that in itself promotes a whole conversation. And then actually, to be honest, this teacher's really not confident. She's really not sure. Would you be able to give this teacher? And you don't actually get onto the assessment they asked you to do. You end up, you know, going down another tangent. But Or you do an observation and you say, you know, I saw this child in this class, but the tasks that you were asking them to do I think were probably a bit beyond their capability they did they seem to have this need and you know this and the teacher again will go gosh no I haven't thought about that and again you, you you're kind of bringing that that model of learning into the whole process which to me and you asked me about you know how how does this relate to the social justice question it's a more authentic model of learning it's based on lots of theory it's it's not based on where I'm doing a cognitive assessment, a psychometric assessment. My theory there is there are processes in this child that work or don't work. And, you know, I'm going to find out which ones are working and not working. And that's the end of the story. I just don't see how that's helping. It's not a, a model of learning and development that I'm, I'm basing that assessment on. It doesn't add up to what I think I'm here to do by, by doing that. And, and that might be because I'm not using the test in a certain way, I guess. You know, I'm sure there's people who, who, would, who would argue against that. But that's and I don't like the fact that a lot of the tools that we've got are based on models of IQ. You know, I, I know that there is some sort of underlying predispositions, genetic influence in, in every child. But it doesn't really matter what that is. The child's here. We need to move them on to the next step. So labeling it as, yeah, they're intelligent or they're not intelligent. How does that help me? And no matter how much you talk about a BAS or a WISC being a cognitive assessment, it's based on a theory of IQ. You're assessing their IQ in some way, shape or form from a model of what's important in terms of IQ, not from a model of what's important in terms of learning. So it's just like, I can't cope with the cognitive dissonance of that. <laughs> you know, I'm assessing, I'm using an IQ-based test to tell you how this child learns best. It doesn't work. And I think I'm there to find out how a child learns best and what, what might help them in the most holistic sense of, of the process. I don't know if that answers your question, Jess, about um, how do you how do you sell it to schools who aren't so yeah, sure? Yeah, I mean, it's just really great listening to you. I think it's made me think of so many things. I'm trying to order my own thoughts. Um, but what you just said then, that last bit, I was thinking actually it ties into that social justice aspect as well. Like when you're saying, you know, your whole kind of your whole kind of approach to using an assessment tool like almost within a consultation model is that centering what this child needs what support this child needs for their learning like at the center of that and I guess that ties into thinking okay maybe we can use a standardized or psychometric test to think about learning or to think about yeah where a child is already at but it needs to be under the right kind of circumstances and I guess part of me was also thinking about how then do we resist um that that urge <laughs> or that need or pressure I guess maybe from a school where not it's not necessarily to find out what learning potential a child or a young person has that they might request something like um a, stand, a standardized cognitive or psychometric assessment 
Um, so I was thinking a little bit about that, how you would kind of resist that. But I was also <laughs> thinking when you were talking about using a standardized assessment in a positive way, and actually how I think one of the comments on Twitter when I kind of put out, uh, has anyone got any questions for this, was around dynamic assessment giving quite a positive yeah, way of feeding back to parents or to schools about a child's potential obviously because it's not fixed it is thinking okay this is kind of where they're at and this is what they can do with support and this is the kind of support we could put in place so uh, yeah I bearing in mind the barriers I was kind of thinking about how do you then feedback dynamic assessment to make it yeah accessible understandable to to parents and and to schools and teachers as well it would be good to hear how you've kind of found doing that yeah I think again that's where the the mammal model was born you know thinking so you've got your kind of five or six main sort of areas that you're looking at as potential influences on on the individual learner so you're looking at their physical skills their emotional skills and when I say emotional skills this is very much about how self-concept self-esteem how they feel about themselves and learning and it taps into the next one which is well motivation which kind of underpins them all you think about their social skills both in terms of their their understanding of their social understanding of interactions so so sort of ability to understand what the teacher's saying you know at a very simple level but ability to also that theory of mind perspective take um, and feel secure with others that more attachment-based aspect of sort of social um, and then you think about regulation So your behavioural regulation, emotional regulation, cognitive regulation. And and then you think about their their cognitive is a small part of it. And that's very much about conceptual perceptual continuum. So again, it's a very vital. I won't bore you with all of that. That's a whole that's based on a very you know sort of strong sort of Vygotskyan model of, of cognition there so you've got those five those five areas and the motivation being at the heart of that six so when I'm feeding back I'll use that model and I've sort of bought I've developed it now into sort of all on, on one sort of piece of paper <laughs> and, and I use those terms and I say and I present it like zones and I say these are the kind of zones where I think we really need to focus and these are the bits perhaps that you know where we've got some strengths and there's some things going well there so and those terms so it's the physical emotional social regulatory and cognitive and motivation they're usually terms people have heard of so hopefully they can sort of relate to that and and I'll do a little bit of talking before I I present to parents or the schools that I work with about this is how I'm seeing learning and this is a model of learning these are the things if they're not working well could be getting in the way of them making progress so trying to sort of there's a bit of psychoeducation I think what I'm saying involved in the feedback you know I think and and perhaps that's where I was really struggling with that Forstein model it was like oh I'm trying to tell you about input elaboration output but then there's all these things within it that you know and then there's overlap between some of that and I'd get myself in such a mess that I couldn't explain it clearly so I suppose I've simplified it in that model that I've given but it's the message that I'm giving is learning is complicated and and I'm really trying to feed back to schools as well it's not just about the child it's then what we do about it so because they're struggling with their kind of self-regulation these are the types of things we need to be doing and make sure in place and again feeding back to teachers and parents particularly look this is what I saw you doing really well I think this is really supporting their self-regulation or whatever these are perhaps things we could add into that so 
you're kind of you're kind of encouraging the teachers as well and there's they're working so hard doing what they're doing you know and you need them on board with any change that you want so I suppose it's feeding the feedback for me the thing that's revolutionized it for me is having a really clear understanding a really clear model of learning of child development of what needs to be going on that's given me the confidence then to be able to say actually these bits are going well these bits I really think perhaps some more thought is needed so we're pooling our expertise in that respect I suppose trying to keep it related to curriculum content as well you know Mm. if they're struggling with the conceptual aspects of of that cognition um, these are the things they're going to find hard like inferencing if you're giving them you know GCSE English questions that's why they're struggling with them or you know so that you'll bring you know how this model relates to what this child might be doing in the classroom as well really really interesting you've touched on this I suppose a little bit about you know people for a long time in the UK that were very drawn to kind of Patsy Wagner the oh, Kensington and Chelsea model of consultation that probably has some degree of shared theoretical roots if you think about you know place of the social world those people with that kind of consultation model and then ideas around dynamic assessment perhaps feeling like quite a good fit or people could really see the synergy between the two and even back to the you know old kind of Cumbria model and their argument that consultation itself should be providing some kind of cognitive challenge to the teacher developing extending their thinking really trying to kind of almost for the psychologist in the consultation to be entering into the teacher's zone of proximal development and kind of mediating. It feels like it's got real resonance with certain models of consultation where you are perhaps using your questioning with the teacher in the consultation to kind of stretch, develop, extend their thinking, explore, thicken their thinking, the narratives that they have. Is that how you how you found it? Is it has it felt a little bit like that or something quite different? Hmm. I definitely think um, the potential is there. You know, again, I think if you've got this very clear model in your mind of what a learner needs to be doing, you know, so when you're in a consultation with a teacher who's saying, I've got this child, I don't know what to do. They're really stuck. They can't seem to do anything. Going in with that kind of clear, okay, so here's a teacher who's stuck. What? How are they conceptualizing the problem? What might what aspect of learning in my mammal model might be going on here, you know, and and sort of exploring, first of all, the teacher's construct of of where the problem areas might lie. You know, again, it's that kind of psychoeducation, but, you know, teachers haven't necessarily got all the kind of knowledge of cognition and learning and all that kind of stuff that that's for us to come and bring to it so so certainly structuring those questions seeing where they're at in terms of this model how they're seeing the problem and then focusing the kind of assessment I'm doing what support have you given so far what impact has that had you know so sort of bringing in their role in the you know in the learning process you know uh, particularly where you've sort of sensing they've got quite a within child view about this it's often because they're feeling quite helpless and they're not sure what to do and they need to sort of reconceptualize the problem or they need some help to think about it differently so I definitely think using a clear model in my head of what a learner needs to have what a learner needs to do and therefore what a teacher would need to think about will influence the types of questions um, that that I will will ask for sure. And I totally agree with what you're saying. You know, consultation model as in the Patsy Wagner model, and and I know not everyone's necessarily using that, but I think a lot lot of process consultation models 
Yes, I mean, she talked about being based on kind of social interactionism, interactionism, didn't she? And systemic sort of, you know, and and, and I'm talking about a model of learning and thinking about a learner that's very constructivist, you know, social constructivist, you know, looking at all of the similar things. So there's got to be an overlap in the way that you can use those two models. But I think what it is for me is you've got your eye on the how do I help this person with their thinking and all my tools I'm using there in terms of how I'm doing the consultation with the teacher and I've got my eye on and how does a a child learn and what's the teacher's role within that and how can I bring those two together I suppose I don't know that that would be how I would thinking about it but yes consultation models and dynamic assessment I think is you know I think it worked they work together brilliantly and that idea again very sort of embedded in the model of consultation I was brought up with if you like I'm I'm here as a kind of expert in psychology and in my head in learning how kids learn and you're an expert in what is going on in the classroom in the curriculum and and how this child is doing let's bring those two things together you know I think and me saying to them, oh, actually, I need to see this child doing a bit of learning. So I'm going to do a bit of assessment to help me understand what's going on. And then we can sort of bring our kind of experiences together. So an initial consultation, me doing a bit of dynamic assessment work, and then, right, when you really need to think about bringing that together again, is, is and, and I love it if teachers can observe as well. Getting teachers to observe you doing when you feel confident enough, and that's the scary bit. Um, or being able to video yourself and then you can edit bits. But those are the most powerful um, sort of assessment experience I've had where I've, and, and quite unexpected sometimes, where I've had a teacher observe what I'm doing. And then the conversation you have afterwards, and, and, and you know, I would sort of present them with, this is what I think I'm doing. This is what I'm focusing on. Here's the model. Come and watch. And then listening to what sense they've made of it. And sometimes they the model you're using sometimes they go off on a complete tangent but it's always interesting and educational on both sides to be able again to bring that shared experience and have something to talk about and, and you know how are they constructing it right get into their head and see it for, through their eyes and then that's going to help us move forward that's the most powerful way to do dynamic assessment for sure yeah I think that's really helpful actually to hear like kind of start to beginning process that we've kind of covered in this conversation um I think that's it's great I was thinking a little bit about we've talked a lot about dynamic assessment and then feeding back to teachers and then how that kind of impacts how practice is done or how that child's learning is supported in school and one of the comments on Twitter also mentioned about dynamic assessment and feeding back to the child or to the young person and I just wanted to ask you yeah whether you've got any advice on like really positive ways of doing that or examples of where it's been really helpful um, to feed that back within that kind of consultation process. Yeah, um, and yeah, that's an interesting, and, and that's part of me being a good mediator, you know, being able to to um, help the child see what you've seen or, or, or helping them to see how what you've done together might influence them in other aspects of learning. And, and I think it is quite challenging to do that well in short assessment. So if you think back to Forstein and his original LPAD model, you've got to know this kid over a number of sessions, you know them really well. Those that kind of bridging and you you might know much more about their life and them in the classroom that bridging was probably a lot easier to do than us where we've got limited number of sessions to to do that and to to really help the child 
no okay we've done what we've done here is we've really done some you know we've thought about how to help you focus your attention or you know how how to help you feel less anxious or whatever how could that then help you in other areas or we've done a complex figure drawing and we've used ways to visually break it down how might that be helpful for you in the classroom I think that's the kind of traditional way that you would bridge and feedback with the child I found that I've often needed to be a bit more directive and take the lead on that you know and tell them what I've seen so in this assessment I've really noticed the way you've done this that might do you ever find in the classroom maybe give a concrete example would probably be something like the complex figure drawing where you've seen a child who's really struggled to break down the shapes and see how they fit together you know and you you talk to that about them oh that felt difficult but look when we covered bits up and looked at just one bit at a time or so you you were able to do that better and then you can think well how is that skill going to help them in the classroom probably going to come into play when they're doing things like reading the visual aspects of reading can they track the words across the page can they visually segment words that skill might come into play there so it might promote a a conversation about oh do you ever find when you're reading something you're losing your place or it's really hard to break down some of those bigger words and they'll often then say yes I do find that and say well that's because you're using this skill here maybe if you covered up the words so you know you've got to have quite a clear understanding of how what you're doing and seeing might be impacting on in the classroom or the very anxious child you might say I noticed you seemed a bit worried about that does that, do you ever feel have those worry feelings in the classroom when you're doing this? And, and often it will open up a conversation and, you know, you can begin to help them think about that. But I also think there's also some really lovely work, and I don't know loads about it, but I know there's a group of psychologists I've heard about in West Sussex who've done some lovely work with little letters, you know, sort of giving them, giving feedback to the child about what they observed and, and, and how that might relate to what they're doing in the class like that, you know, so that kind of more or, you know sort of letter-based feedback as well which is nice but I think you can do a lot of it in the moment but again it comes down to having that clear what have I seen how might it help how I would be much more directive about giving them feedback than than the original models suggest which is you get them to think about where that this might be helpful I, I think often they need a lot more support than that and you need to say how you think you know the feedback might be helpful you think about um, how each of us have to kind of think about our own current context and what is it like to be in I'm just I'm thinking about our kind of stage two is what is it like to be this person in this kind of cultural context at this particular time and actually so much of what you shared Rachel is about recognizing that we each are trying to adapt whether it's dynamic assessment consultation assessment just as a general kind of area to try and make sense of the context that we're in and the demands that are on us and I suppose it's just as much as what teachers parents carers children and young people each of us are trying to accommodate the environment in some way and I, I think that's one of the fabulous things about your model and the emphasis on move shifting just from one part of the system. You're not just on one part of the triangle. It's how are these interacting with each other? They're dynamic. They they shift. They change. The relationship with the teacher changes. Actually, suddenly things that were a problem six months ago suddenly don't think or we adjust the task. Actually, that's led to and just recognizing, I guess, and, and maybe just to kind of 
ask you this as our sort of final big question to you. What kinds of things have helped you keep up that level of creativity, flexibility, adaptation? You seem so excited about it and its potential and what it can offer. What things have, have helped you nurture yeah, that side of your work and, and to keep you going? Mm, good question. I've been, I was really lucky in my early years as an EP to have really encouraging colleagues around me, you know, who, who were innovating and were interested in different ways of doing things, you know, and, 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 and having shared thinking as well. I suppose you kind of surround yourself and maybe, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but you surround yourself with people who see the world like you, which gives you confidence. And that's what I've always found difficult. I've had these ideas, but does anyone else think they're any good? Is it just me that thinks this? You know, trying to keep... So for me, like with dynamic assessment in particular, it was getting some really good supervision, which I paid for and funded myself. And I was lucky, I suppose, to be able to do that. But, you know, it was a priority to sort of build my skills uh, in, in that way. And, you know, now I'm really lucky. I've, I've, I've found a great network of other tutors and EPs who are really interested in dynamics as well, as well. And we have conversations about it and we feed each other's enthusiasm, I suppose. So it's finding like-minded people and being really, you know, it's my way of seeing it as what works for me. And I think it works for the people that I work with too. There are other ways of doing it and not being, it has to be this or not, you know, th this is, this is what's important to me. And this is my map of the world and join it if you like. And equally, I want to know what other people see and what what the downsides might be so being curious about where other people are coming from within that too but yeah I suppose that's it for me yeah just having being able to find the people around me and that's yeah and I think that's a really like nice a piece of advice actually isn't it for for anyone listening um and I think it's not always like really straightforward to do that and it's I guess hearing that from you gives me kind of confidence myself to kind of seek that out as well and and know that it's possible to to find like-minded people when it doesn't always feel possible to do that it's been really great like talking to you Rachel I've really enjoyed this conversation I know everyone listening is going to really enjoy it too the last thing we usually ask um, guests on this show is whether you have kind of one book or article or chapter that you've kind of read whether it's about dynamic assessment or consultation or both um that really kind of change your thinking or that you would recommend kind of listeners to have a little look at or yeah I think the trouble is there's too many to mention in recent years months definitely reading more about where it all started out from a kind of Vygotskyan perspective on assessment child development and how children learn and there's a nice book which you know there's a there's a number of resources I could suggest but there's there's a really nice book uh called um Vygotsky for Educators by someone called Karpov and that for me he, he writes it in quite a simple way he's got he talks about Vygotsky's model of child development how a child learns from birth onwards and that I drew that's where the actual inspiration for the mammal model finally came from really I'm um, just reading that so anything by him or people working in that kind of way is what made a real difference to me but that's just recently you know years ago there were other things too there's so many and I'm really happy for people to contact me and if they want to know more so and I've got unpublished handbooks and things like that um 
and I'm trying to put together a training program. I'm actually doing some research via my UCL role. I'm just waiting for ethical approval to actually research the model. So I'm looking for people who want to know more about it to come to some free training, get some free resources and test it out and give me some feedback. Yes, but I'm always happy to, if people want to contact me directly, uh, send out stuff, but there'll there'll be something published soon, I hope. Yeah, I really hope so too. And actually, Rachel, I just want to thank you personally as well, because I think that your resources and your teaching is partly why I'm so interested in dynamic assessment and why I feel like confident in talking about it and using it. Um, which I don't think everybody does so that's credit to you and your resources even when I've asked to kind of borrow them or show other people they I know that people have found them like almost couldn't do it without them (laughs) yeah so I'm really looking forward to something being published that can be shared more widely um, with other EPs and trainees as well I think it will be wow thank you for saying that that gives me confidence I'm not talking complete rubbish there is um, a group there's a there's a tutor on um, the Bristol course Mary um, Stanley Duke, who I'm, I'm working with at the moment, and we're trying to get a text, you know, textbook on dynamic assessment as we see it um, together. Um, it's it's a little way off completion, but it, there is a book somewhere in there one day um, that hopefully will appear. So. <laughs> Oh, no that that's really good and it's nice to know that these things are happening as well because you know like people can kind of have that in their minds that that these resources are coming to them as well thank you again Rachel it's been really good to speak with you so it's we a pleasure. Thank go you. on so thank many you for questions. indulging me <laughs> oh, thank you